It's good to be here with you this morning. As Van said, we were here 90s, early 2000s. And, you know, I, I look back at this time here. Um, of course, we were in a different building at that, at that time than, than you guys are in currently. Um, through the grace of God, I was at Calvary at a very pivotal time and was allowed to uh, be in the pulpit. And those of you that were there then, I probably should apologize for what you suffered through because it, it was a great deal to suffer through. But let me, let me start this part of our service off with, with a prayer. So I'm going to ask you to, to bow with me. Father, as always, we have now come to sit at your feet and to hear your word. Aid your servant, for my strength is small. The task is large, but your grace is sufficient. I pray, Lord, that you will now move here in this congregation freely, that you will send your spirit to awaken us to the sweetness and the beauty of Christ and his word. As we come now to this time of worship, I ask, Lord, that you, you, you strengthen us that we might worship you with our mind, our heart, our soul. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. That was as much for my benefit as to, it always calms me down simply to be able to pray. So thank you for that. If you will, turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. <clears throat> We're going to begin at verse 31. I walked out a minute ago and I walked through the double doors and it reminded me many years ago that the other church didn't have double doors and I was leaving with Travis in a hurry. And as I, I got outside the, the first set of doors and didn't make it to the second set of doors before I decided to, to apply discipline, Van asked me afterwards, he said, next time, wait till you get to the second set of doors. <laughs> So I tried to heed that advice from there on. <clears throat> As we look at John chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 31 through 38. And before we even get there, what I want to talk to you about is a little bit before we read the text and, and really get into it. <clears throat> Something that I, I see as a, a symptom in the church that is particular to the United States, though it is, it is all over the place, <clears throat> It's everywhere, but it, it manifests itself, I think, in the strongest or most virulent form here in the United States, and that's that sense of autonomy. Mankind has been seeking a sense of autonomy, and we seek it just in ways that it's, a, it's, a, it's unreal. Things we want to be, and by autonomy, of course, we want to be free from everything, and we, we want freedom. Well, the Bible has a different idea of what freedom looks like and, and what bondage looks like. And they, they tend to be completely opposite of the way that we, we uh, pursue it. So the, the topic today is, is about autonomy, but we're going we're to read the text of Scripture and then go from there. So this is John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will be free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. 
I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, in that text, you might not see right away this idea of autonomy and the idea of, of, of bondage, and yet it's exactly what Jesus is talking about. <clears throat> when we think of autonomy and freedom, we have this odd view, and in my head is playing this little picture that I can't put on the overhead for you, but it's this picture of someone with long hair that I've never had <clears throat> because I could never tolerate it. But this hair that's blowing in the breeze, and somehow they're freer than the rest of us. And that's how we picture autonomy. I'm free. I'm free from everything. I'm free from concern. I'm free from all things. Ultimately, something that is free from all things is free to do nothing but really die. And it, it's our, connected, our connectedness to Christ that is the most vital thing about the believer in Jesus, about the follower of Christ. <clears throat> and I think he, he lays that out here in his text. Let's look, if you will, to our Bibles. Jesus says there in verse 31, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples. That word abide, <clears throat> that word abide is an important word. It's a significant word. It doesn't mean just to hang around. It's this idea of, of, of something deeper, something more pure, something more significant. So when he says to these, these unbelievers, you and I being privy to the conversation by virtue of the Holy Spirit having it recorded for us by John, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And th- that abiding is, is very key because we're, we're told by Jesus in, in another place in the Bible that there are some whose his word finds no root in. They, they, they take it for a season, but then it's gone. This is an abiding. This is something more, something different. But then he goes, he speaks of those who, who his word abides in. And he says, and... You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, the difficulty here is so many times when anybody reads this text, they immediately go to free, and we, we think of freedom, again, as that, that picture of somebody who's standing there free of everything, no concern, no nothing, and it's, it's absolutely not what the Bible has in mind. It, it, it's not what the Word of God is, is trying to get across, from you, across to you. When it says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, it, it's free from the burdens. It's free from the woe of a life lived that's wasted. It's free from so much more that the world pursues after. The world is trying to find that autonomy, and yet what they really need is to be bound to Christ. The amazing part is in the Bible, the thing that is used most regularly, the way of referencing the people of God in the New Testament, is not church. It's the words, in Christ. Or, or something of that order. And Paul's the one that uses it the most. In Christ Jesus, in Christ. But it, it has something to do with that. It's, it, it's the idea that these people, the, the covenant people of God who are, who are the believers in, in Jesus, that they have a connection to God through Christ, that they are in Christ. And from a theological position, what, it, what that means is God has taken you out of Adam and he's put you into Christ. In Adam, all are, all are dead. Dead in sin and trespass. But in Christ, all are made alive. All are alive. Our, our, our life actually comes, according to Colossians, uh, our life comes through Christ. And then Jesus also says of himself, I, I, I am the true vine. And you and I are to be, to be tethered into that vine, hooked into that vine, so that we, we sucker fuel uh, life, vitality from Christ. And yet when we see this, we, we think free is somehow 
free of that. Well, I, I need to be free from all those things. Well, let me give you a picture of, of what autonomy looks like. It's, it's there in the New Testament still, but go over in your, your Bibles in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45. That's Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, that's autonomy. He is forsaken by mankind and by God. He who knew no sin became sin for us, and God turns his back on him. That's autonomy. You want a good picture of autonomy? That's it right there. The Bible provides it right there in the Word of God. tells us exactly what autonomy looks like. It looks like dying because that's exactly what it is. Autonomy is death. And yet so many times we, we scramble, and, and again, I, I think it's a particular virulent form that's, that's here in the United States that we, we want to be free from everything. What the Bible wants is something more. And th- th- that picture of Jesus dying there, he's dying outside the camp. He's dying out, out, outside, the, uh, outside the city. He's, he's dying for sin, and it's the sin of, uh, of the believing community that he bears, and, and he's dying there because of that. And his, his separation, his autonomy is brought on by that sin. You have to understand the relationship Jesus has had with the Father. Of course, this divine relationship, the everlasting Son, his deity, it doesn't come into existence. But Jesus, the man, is born. And he's never known a time of separations, a time of separateness from God at all. He's had this sweet fellowship because he says, I always do that which pleases my Father. And it's not that he's just that dutiful son. It's that he enjoys the presence of the Father so gloriously and so significantly that he's walking in the pleasure of his Father. And it pleases him to do that which pleases the Father. I think that's one of the high notes for Christianity is that as we mature in Christ, we find out the thing that pleases me most is when my God is most pleased. I find that if, I, if my father is pleased with me, and I know that he is through Christ, I know that his affection towards me is fixed on me because of Christ. I find that when, when I understand and perceive and, and, and know the love of my heavenly father, that, that, that it, it motivates and moves me in a, in a very particular way. Well, Jesus is in this sweet, glorious fellowship, and nothing can break that except your and my sin. And your and my sin brings up autonomy upon one who never wanted it except that he knew he was coming he he came for this purpose he says i have come for this he came to die and yet even in the garden of gethsemane i think one of the things that the thing that is weighing most heavily upon him is he knows that in that moment he goes from being the most blessed man to being cursed of god for your sake and he receives the autonomy that you and i seem to, to scramble for and desire so desperately and yet we need to be furthest from it now, that's my, my illustration of autonomy. If you will, flip back over in your Bibles to John chapter 8. Jesus uses words that we need to latch on to, to lay hold of and make them ours. Not, not have them just be Bible words, but make them words that, that, that affect me and, and, and penetrate down into the deepest recesses of my soul. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who do not believe. But he's speaking to them about those that do believe. He's speaking to them about those who, whose word, who, who his word abides in. In other words, it, it, it gets in, it, it does something, it penetrates, it, it's not just something on the surface. I remember seeing a play some years ago. I guess it was the 
probably 97, 98, and they, they were kind of mocking uh, Christianity in, in a way, but it was, it was kind of in a, in a, it was a picture of supposed to be inside the church and the way we hurl verses at each other, almost always wrenching them from their context and then throwing them at one another. And it, it was humorous. Uh, now that I'm a little older, I appreciate it more because I, I think we, have, we should be laughed at occasionally, mostly by ourselves. We should laugh at ourselves the way that we do some of those things. But the way they threw those verses around reminds me of, of how oftentimes his word is not abiding in us. We just kind of carry it around with us. It needs to seep in and it needs to get into, the, into the, very, the very essence of my soul so that it abides in me, so that it, it, it's how I think, it, it's how I understand. And to try to understand apart from it is so foreign that I'm simply not capable of doing it. Let, let, let me move a little further. There in verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So many times we want to run, we, we think freedom is, is freedom from anything of responsibility, freedom from restriction. And yet the Bible, what the Bible wants you to be, what the Bible wants the believer in Christ to be, what the Bible calls for the covenant people of God to be, is, is freed from the burden of sin, freed from the, from the price and the wages of sin, and yet we're bound to Christ. One of the greatest designations that, that, that the, the New Testament has, the writers have of themselves, is the due loss of God. It's a slave of God. It's not just a slave, but it's one of the lowest orders of slave that you can be. And it's because they're happy to be the slave of Jesus. He's the master. And I remember a time when I was younger when I, well, as a young man, I had a hard time. I would tell people that, you know, people who wrote my checks and told me when to come to work, I'll work with you. (laughs) Only a young man is capable of such absurdity. You know, if they're telling you when to come to work and how much you're going to get paid, um, they're your boss. You don't work with them. You work for them. And, and, and I struggled underneath, underneath that because I was a young man and quite foolish. I don't struggle underneath the, 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 the lordship of Christ. And so many times you and I may struggle with, underneath that, and we, we shouldn't. He is a glorious master. He, he's, he's a great master. And he says his yoke is light. And he's right. But when he says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, ultimately that truth is, is that God is a rewarder of them that seek after him. And ultimately the way God seeks after you is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when you come to saving faith in Christ, he sets you free from, the, from the, the vain, futile, godless pursuit of the madness that, that goes on. And I look around as a pastor and I have people that come to me for counseling and they Pastor, how did I get in this mess? And the first three things I can never tell them. I've advised my children for years, never say the first thing. Always go for the second, third. For me, it's the fourth. Because the first three are, no, you're not supposed to say those things. But you didn't get there because it, it was an accident. You walked yourself into it. Because you're bound still with your sin. You need to free yourself of that. And, and, and what the scriptures desire, what Christ desires for you, because, you know, people ask pastors all the time. I know Pastor Van has heard it many times. What is God's will for me? You know, there's only one time that we can answer that perfectly. Well, according to the word of God, God's will for you is your sanctification. As to his hidden will, I don't know. And Van doesn't know. And we're not going to know because it's hidden. Therefore, we don't know. But God's, God's desire for his beloved church is that they would be sanctified, set aside, made holy. 
to be in the world but not of it. And as we pursue Christ, the great truth is that God is a rewarder of them that, that pursue him. And, and we pursue him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that as we run into the direction of Christ, we are becoming freer by the second. Free from all the things that bind and, and chain down the men of the world. That, that the children of God are not bound by any longer. But if you look in verse 33, these, these worldly men, these Jews there, they said, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved anyone. How is it you say you will become free? What, what they were saying was, look, we're doing all the religious stuff. I don't want to take into, into account the fact that they, they were slaves in Egypt and all that. They were slaves. They're slaves here to the religion. A religion that's, that's not God-centered, not God-oriented, but is man-centered, man-oriented. And they had done all the things. They, they checked everything off on the list, and they looked, and they said, look, I've done everything. I'm not, I'm not bound. I've done everything I can do. I'm free. And as they say that, they are shackled all the more. Because instead of finding the freedom and the truth that God provides, they, they sought their own. See, see, God is our source of truth. God is the great truth. He says that, and Jesus, Jesus actually gets in a bit of trouble at the end of this chapter. At the end of this chapter, he, he uses a phrase in, in Greek, it's ego ami, I am. Now, that, that, that beckons back to the, the desert when God identifies himself as uh, I am, which is hard to, to actually explain and define because when you look at it in the original language, it's, it's not going to be helpful. It's, it's, it's just not helpful. It can be I am, I am that I am. Um, ultimately it points to the self-existence of God. And Jesus picks up that title, and it's right there at the end of this, at the end of this, uh, this chapter, if you look in verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, ego ami, before Abraham was, and he took the name of God upon his lips, and he assigned it to himself. If Jesus is anything other than the divine son of God, he is a great liar here. But since he is, in fact, the divine son of God, he can take the, the title, the name of God, upon his lips and do so without sin. And in fact, had he done otherwise, he would have then been a liar. But because he is who he says he is, that is that great truth. And these men don't want to hear it because they're bound up in sin. In fact, look at verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That's true. Now, after a man is born from above, John chapter 3... He, he receives the spirit. Does that mean he's free from sin? Well, no, it doesn't. I'm, I'm free from the wages of it. I'm, I'm free from its consequence. Wages of sin is death, but I'm still going to die. But I won't end there. See, the, the hope of the gospel is that, and when I say hope, we need to, we need to take to it the, the biblical meaning of that word hope. It doesn't mean, I think I'm right. It, it, it's a, it's a, an expectation that we, we, we know is coming, and yet we have not realized it yet. It, it, it's based upon the truth of God and cannot then be anything else but that. But we haven't realized it. So our hope is an unrealized yet thing that when I enter the grave, I won't be there. And that's all, all based upon the gospel. See, you can be free from the, the fear of death as well. See, the, the slaves to sin are shackled to sin. And sin is shackled to death. The wages of sin, of course, like in Romans says, the wages of sin is, is death. They shackle themselves further and further, more and more. And in the end, not only are they shackled, but they're shackled to death and hell. But then he, he says this, 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, when he, when he says that there in, in verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. He's talking about those who are slaves to religion, slaves to sin. They don't remain forever. See, but if you remember what I said a minute ago, for all those that are in Christ, we were in Adam, were, but now we're in Christ. See, if you're in the Son, you remain forever. And there is no fear of death because Christ has borne the, the, the price of our sin. Well, I, I want to flip over just a, a page in your Bible, maybe a page and a half, over to John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, in your, your translation, it may say, I came that they might have li- I came to bring them life and that more abundantly. Well, but whatever it is, Jesus brings us that abundant life. That abundant life is a reflection back to what he's talking about here in, in, in John chapter 8. See, in our hearts... And our way of thinking that is apart from God, we think that somehow being free of everything will finally, I'll have that moment. You know, that moment when you can relax and everything just, oh, there it is. I I finally made it. And in fact, there's nothing there but death. But when I am instead, this is where the, the language of the Apostle Paul is so very helpful. He talks about being bound to Christ. See, the man that is bound to Christ is set free from his sin. Martin Luther put it this way. Martin Luther said that we were, we were all mules, jackasses, basically. He said, what matters is who's riding the jackass. It's either the devil or God, one or the other. I think he's right. I think Martin nails it. Now, Martin Luther was a man particularly uh, adept at explaining that because he, he lived his life doing all. In fact, he said of himself, he said, if, if a man could save, be saved by monkery, it would have been me. In other words, by all the religious things going at it and, and getting all the things done, checking all the boxes off and saying, look, I, I, I've, I've done all this, I've done all that, I've done everything. And yet he, he thought of God as an ogre. In fact, another quote from him is to, he mentions, he says, he's being asked by his father confessor, Martin, don't you, don't you love God? Love God? Sometimes I hate him. And what he meant by that in his unconverted heart was that he saw God as, as nothing more than a celestial killjoy, someone who had come to suppress life and, and, and to, to make it less. Well, God is here to do everything but that. Now, God is a sovereign God over all things, over the unregenerate and the regenerate. But for those who have a relationship with God through Christ, he has come to set you free from the bond and the futility and the madness of the world, and it's, it's absolutely a glorious thing. And it is beyond compare. And there's nothing, as I, as I talk to people in the world that are, that are seeking satisfaction in, in, in all kinds of things that never, never get them there. I have in mind, I'm going, just run, run as hard as you can to Jesus. Just run to Jesus. Just, just go there. Because in there, according to, according to the psalmist, in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And it, and there's peace there. You don't find it anywhere else. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah. I had actually quite a few more scriptures, but I'm aware of the time. <clears throat> this is Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. See, what, what God wants to do is through Christ is to bring you into the fellowship that God has. See, before God created, God wasn't bored, wasn't for lack of things to do, that he said, you know what, let, hey, let, let, let's, let's go ahead and we'll make the, uh, a universe. God had perfect union and communion. And his creation, of which you are part, was made to express, express the, the, the glory and the majesty of God, but also his, the union and communion that God shares within the divine Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what he's doing with the redeemed mankind, the church, is he's inviting you into this circle. And he says, look, come on in here. Come on in here and, and partake of this blessedness. And when you look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, that blessedness is to be in the presence of the Almighty. Well, let me ask you to bow your head. Father, aid us this morning. For we seek sometimes freedom when what we need is to be bound bound to Christ, holding fast to our God and being held fast by our God. Oh, Lord, help us not to look in places that are empty, where there is nothing for our souls. But may we run quickly to Christ and find that he is a rewarder of all them that seek after him. Lord, I pray, God, your blessings now upon his people. The great blessing is your presence. May you make your countenance to shine upon them. These things we ask in the most precious name we know, that of your Son. Amen.